to this dude, Rufus. He knows what he's talking about. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. And now Trevor Lawrence has entered the game number 16 for the Tigers. He's in best of the conference. Lawrence wants another, and he's got it. Start the clock now. Trevor Lawrence's first touchdown pass of his career. From the 43, Wimbush looking deep. Chris Fink down there. Fink, did he catch it? Yes! Touchdown Irish! Incredible grab! And off. But you just have to take a knee here. Cox goes rolling. He wants the end zone. Cox inside the 10. He stretches. And he ends it. An exclamation point for Old Dominion. Old Dominion stuns 13th rate Virginia Tech. Lawrence stayed alive a long time. And did well to get back he's, near the line of scrimmage. And now he is not getting up. Off half the distance, Clemson starts from the six with six minutes and change to go. ETN, another big run. He's heading perhaps for a two. Won them the national championship two years ago. Bryce with lots of time. it needs to kick a field goal or score a touchdown and they score the touchdown Travis Etienne walks in he wants another deep shot drops it in at the goal line that's a cage touchdown Revan Jordan the tight end got deep it looks like 95 here in Charlottesville they do it against Miami this time 16-13 your final another boomer back to the 25 Newsom gathers himself. Newsom cut at the 40. Newsom to midfield. Has a blocker ahead of him. Daz Newsom racing to the end zone on the punt return. Touchdown North Carolina. Vito from midfield going deep near the end zone. It's caught and a touchdown. Nikeem Johnson makes the catch. 50 to go. Field goal gives the Irish the lead. Book wants it up. Going end zone. And now the quick tempo, they're going deep to the other side, and a great catch on this side from Alex Bachman. Touchdown, Wake Forest. But all alone in the backfield, pressure comes, and he gets rid of it. Across He's the middle, it. and down the middle, toward the end zone. Touchdown! Frudenthal, the tight end. And there was a collision that helped spring him free, 32 yards. And they are stunned here in Raleigh. Pittsburgh officially clinches the ACC Coastal Division with a 34-13 victory. Back to Coleman. Hoke, he's got there and they blocked it. Blocked by Trey Turner. It's loose in the end zone. It's all Hokies and it's Javon Quillen diving on it. Touchdown, Virginia Tech Hokies. Perkins takes the snap. Pressure, he is hit. And the ball is loose and it is recovered. It's over. straight ACC championships, four straight playoff appearances. Congratulations to the Clemson Tigers, and they're off to the playoff. Tigers reclaim their crown by crushing Alabama. Hey there, CFB FANS of the ACC. You are listening live to BFC. That's a bowl full of chips. I am but one host, the always chatting chappy, and you all know my 
1A co-host, the Bipsburg Panther. Bip, ACC over there. How are you today? Are you in a sunshine state or a Carolina blue? Uh, Kind of uh, in the middle. Had a, a mini vacation with the family, which is always nice. But, you know, it always uh, tests your patience when you have a almost five and a, a three-year-old both in the car and in the hotel room. Um, so that was good to see my, my meter of um, frustration this weekend. But outside of that, uh, not too bad. How about yourself, Chappie? Well, can I break your heart here for a second? Uh-huh. It, it's not going to get easier in the next uh, few years. Uh, it's not. Experience. No, no. With a uh, with a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. Darlings, lovely. You know them. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, the, the patience level continues to feign and faint. And then by the time that it starts to rise up again, then you go through that uh, roller coaster of, you know, sadness that they're all grown up and all that, that beautiful. Um, well, situation. well, you also, you also find out your level of persistence too, because you go from a, a stance of uh, telling them that you're going to take something away or that something's not going to happen a certain way. And then you get to a point to where you're just like, I'm just going to fold and give in to whatever they want because I'm tired of this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. I've got a hand that might win here, but you know, screw it. I'm just going to toss them in and uh, yeah. fold on this one. <laughs> I, I'm giving up the long-term benefits for the short gain here. <laughs> That's right. And sometimes, you know, they, they say don't sweat the small stuff. And uh, I, I exactly know what that means. It's it's a lot yeah. easier said than done, but <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Well, that's good, Bip. It's good to hear that you got out, got a little vacay. Uh, I was able to do so myself this weekend. A little refresher uh, from the work world. And believe it or not, even even the realm of college football, because as much as we love this, it's it's good to kind of step away just, you know, if it's for a little bit of time, half a day or so. But we're back, man. and, And I'm glad to be doing the podcast again with you. Yep. So. If you've got a case of the football munchies and you're feeling a craving, hop on the BFC diet and sit down to a bowl full of chips. And don't worry, we've already got it all measured out for you, so no need to count points. Here at BFC, we bring football closer. We want to thank you for listening. Things are going well for us, but we encourage you to help us make this podcast even better. The best thing you can do is to subscribe, to share with friends and family, with coworkers, even acquaintances. Basically, anybody you know who enjoys the game, even half of what you do and we do. All you got to do is hit the share button on your device and you can send it via text or email or even if just mentioning it by mouth or by social media, that's fine too. Consider this your random act of kindness for the week. So Bip, as you know, we here at Bowlful of Chips, we love college football. We love to laugh and we love traveling as we have evidence. Both Bip and I had a chance to get out of the city that we reside in this weekend and um bip going beyond the great state of michigan what are some cool places that you've traveled to that you can look back and say i'm glad i went there and i encourage others to go well a couple summers ago uh the wife and i and a couple other couple friends of ours we're all set to take a trip to Miami, but this is during the time when the uh, Zika virus uh, outbreak was happening. So <laughs> the a uh, couple of our couple friends were looking to get pregnant. So that was a uh, a place of uh, where you shouldn't be traveling um, during that time. So we're looking around and looking around and we settled on um, uh, Philadelphia. And it's funny when you tell people. Uh, the difference of, hey, we're going to Miami this summer compared to, hey, we're going to Philadelphia because Miami's <laughs> always, uh, oh, cool. What are you guys doing there? And, and when you say, hey, we're going to Philadelphia, 
Why Philadelphia? Yeah. <laughs> Big Fresh Prince fans, are you? <laughs> right. Yeah, we really like boys to men. Um, <laughs> no, we, uh, so it, it actually was really cool. Lots of uh, historical sites. Um, the place where we stayed was right next to uh, like one of their famous markets to where there's a ton of food, ton of different vendors there. So I really enjoyed Philadelphia. Um, was kind of a last minute spur of the moment kind of a thing, but actually um, worked out to be to be pretty cool. Um, another place, uh, if, and isn't if it, isn't it a... so? Uh, isn't it so cool how sometimes those last minute, hey, we just uh, fly by the seat of our pants decisions, those end up being the most memorable trips. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, there were some. The nightlife there was pretty cool. Um, the the city was actually kind of uh, interesting to to walk around as you could kind of get your way through. Where it's a big city, but you could you could walk your way through um, without too long or strenuous of a walk. So that was that was enjoyable. Um, another vacation I really enjoyed was uh, when I uh, took a, a trip with the uh, family, mom and dad included, of uh, we went to Cape Cod for the summer, went to a mm-hmm. um, couple uh, summer baseball games there in the uh, Cape Cod League. Um, so anyone listening, if you have an opportunity, the Cape is an awesome place to visit during the summer and, uh, catching those baseball games is really, uh, a, uh, a bucket list kind of a base or, uh, kind of a trip. If you're, uh, if you're any kind of a baseball fan. Yeah, I can second that. My family and I had the fortune of going out there two summers ago and same thing. The, the big draw for me was not just the East coast and the new England area, which, being a history teacher and a history buff, I, I've always wanted to go back to some of the revolutionary and early colonial uh, heritage roots and, and, and original places. But the the Cape League was certainly a draw as well. And, and that's just a, a beautiful area, especially in the summertime. I mean, it's there's a lot to do. There's, there's a lot of draw to go out there to eastern seaboard of, of Massachusetts and even up further into Maine, I hear is, is awesome. We were only there for about two or three days in the Cape, but, uh, you know, going to, even out to Boston, that was a, that's a thing that you could do in maybe a couple of days. And I wish we had more time. So I, I proudly second that notion there, Bip. Can't beat those accents out there either. <laughs> oh, I know. Yep. <laughs> Down in the yard in Boston. <laughs> Over by the harbor. That's right, the Hava. Get yourself some lobster, will you? <laughs> yeah, I. Um, some of the places that that I've frequented um, outside of the state of Michigan, of course, Traverse City. For anybody who is a Michigander, that's a place that you've got to go. And and once you you go there once, you'll end up going there multiple times. The family and I love taking a yearly trip out there. And of course, out to beautiful Evanston, Illinois. You had the the great fortune of of. Uh, accompanying me out there when your Fighting Irish beat my Northwestern Wildcats by 10 points this past fall. But that was a, an enjoyable trip and just a beautiful place out there in, in uh, northern Chicago, Illinois. Yeah, I was impressed for sure. Being so close to the water is really cool being able to see uh, over to uh, you know the Great Lake and um, just a really nice campus out there. I was, I was impressed. Yeah. Especially during the fall time too. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's a slice of heaven and, and that's where, you know, the, the locals there nickname it Heavenston and, and for good reason. So, okay. Um, 
I know that you have been down to North Carolina. That's another one of my favorite spots and certainly appropriate for our ACC podcast today. Um, the Great Smoky Mountains, so the the Western North Carolina, Eastern Tennessee area, just a, a wonderful place. Even though uh, the state of Tennessee took my appendix from me that one summer, it was still <laughs> an enjoyable trip. And um, there's a lot to do out there. And if you love the outdoors and, and scenery, I re- de- definitely recommend North Carolina for any of you who are listening. Yeah, a place that I, I'm glad that when we went, our father drove us as the uh, the the cliffs and the steep uh, mountainous terrain made it uh, <laughs> what I would appe- what I would assume to be white knuckle driving, as it looks like there's about the size of a moped to go through on those roads. <laughs> yeah, not only that, but uh, when when my family and I went back there, actually to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, about four or five years ago. We mistimed it and ended up getting there at about nine or ten o'clock at night when it's pitch black, and oh, awesome. it's it's hard <laughs> enough navigating through that on a bright sunny afternoon. But at the nighttime, when yeah, you're wondering, uh, do I have enough room to stay on the ledge here? And then the other thing of, is there any friggin' cars coming on the other direction? <laughs> um, yeah, let's just say that uh, the nerves were going sky high that night, and there may have been even a little bit of uh, uh, doo doo party for <laughs> my my nerves ba- out back. So, <laughs> uh, but we know that's a little bit more information than most of you need. So, Biff, speaking of doo doo places, what uh, <laughs> what are some places that maybe you've been to that you would not return back? You know, I. I was thinking about that. I don't really have too many places to where I wouldn't return as I can usually find, uh, you know, something decent that I enjoy going to, even if it's just for a little bit. I will say one of the more overrated places is in our great state of Michigan. Um, I enjoy visiting Frankenmuth periodically. Um, (laughs) However, the the um, grand mystique that everyone gives it around here about how it's somewhere that you need to take several days every year and eat some overrated chicken is just a little more for for uh for me than i can take sometimes god bless you i i i wouldn't put that in my top 10 in terms of chicken places uh, right. so people who constantly talk about you know how heavenly it is it is a very nice place don't get me wrong but um unless you are enthusiastic and passionate to the T about German culture and, uh, or yeah, Christmas. or yeah, or Christmas. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, you don't need to go back so frequently unless, you know, you live within an hour drive, which I have the luxury of doing. So that's why I right, kind of frequent right. it as much as I do, but, um, same with us, but yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's certainly not something that you need to set your watch to every two months. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, my place, uh, and, and by the way, that was very glass half full of you, Bip. Um, my, my place that we've been to, uh, and I'm kind of the same mindset of you. I, I don't like to complain too much about places, but our trip to Cleveland a couple of years ago, that was somewhere that we kind of wished that we hadn't spent the money and we uh, could have spent that day and a half going somewhere else. Now, uh, truth be told, the, the main attraction for us was the a Christmas story house museum, which is really, really neat. And and I recommend you going out there if you haven't yet, Bip. I know that you're a big fan of that movie oh, yeah. around Christmas time. But yep. um 
outside of that, it's it's not much to write home about. Uh, there's a lot of factories and smoke and uh, construction, and you've got the water, and then you've got piles of dirt and rubble and old rundown buildings. It's that's about <laughs> it. I mean, so if that's your thing, then head out to Cleveland. And and my apologies to. Uh, all the sports fans and to Drew Carey and uh, my buddy Fedge. Uh, I, I don't well, really see what the draw is for Cleveland. <laughs> what, well, you know Cleveland's tagline, at least we're not Detroit. <laughs> That's true. Yep. <laughs> They've got one on us. <laughs> right, right. So, well, um, Bip, let's tell the people where they can find us on Twitter because aside from our rambling here on Bowlful of Chips, we also like to send out ideas and information and share the wealth of knowledge of college football out in the Twitter sphere. So where can we find you, Bip? They can find me at at BFC Bip. And I am at champion underscore lit. So uh, we're going to give you more than just what we do here. We also love to retweet and send off those ideas and resources that we beg, borrow, and and use from others. So give us a, a look and check us out on Twitter. And how about this? We'll make you a deal. If you follow us, we'll name drop you here on the show for whatever that, uh, whatever power that holds. Um, it at least goes over the airwaves and it's good marketing, my friends. So give Absolutely. us a look. Uh, so what are we going to be talking about today on our show? Well, it's strictly ACC review. Last time we talked about the traditions of the ACC, the Atlantic Coast Conference. Today we're going to run down both the Atlantic and the coastal standings. So Bip's going to um, kind of give us a, a review about what he saw on the Atlantic side. I'm going to run down the coastal side, and then the two of us are going to bash heads and, and see where we meet in the middle. Uh, we're going to talk about our successful surprises and disheartening disappointments, some of the top players and most outstanding performers in the ACC, the best games, and then, of course, our thoughts and some hints at what to expect in 2019. Uh, Bip, we haven't done a countdown in a few times. I'm pleased to say that we're now 26 weeks away from the start of the college season. And can you remember who the opening game is? Let's put you on the spot here, Bip. I want to say I know Hawaii's involved against Arizona. You got it, my friend. Ding, 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 ding. So you are are classified as a legit college football fan. And that, by the way, is week zero, ladies and gentlemen. So if you knew that, you were even more of a college football fan. There is no... Uh, you know, for whatever reason they call it week zero, uh, you math nerds, I know that you're, that's going to fry your brains, but, um, (laughs) nonetheless, it it gets us started. So, um, the number 26 shared by Javon Quillen of Virginia tech and Michael Carter of Duke two famous 26, whereas as Bip and I both know. So what we pride ourselves in here at BFC is much like we were in college. We are the college football podcast that gives you more than the big guys do. We pay attention to detail. We go the extra mile for research and provide fresh perspective rather than recycled readings from Twitter. We're not driven by manifested money or politically driven prognostications. What we give you is objective subjectivity. We'll praise and we'll punish whoever deserves it. And if you agree with us, awesome. If you disagree, we encourage that, but we won't back down to perpendicular opinions. So, Bip, let's get right into it. Um, The ACC. You and I kind of looked at this and we ranked them as our fifth out of 11 conferences. And of course, we know that there's 10. We we include the independent conference in there. Um, but Bip and I are going to uh, hopefully paint a picture as to why they rank five out of 11 um, when considering that there are five uh, power five conferences 
that puts them right down there at the bottom. So we'll look at why that is. Um, let's start right off with the standings there, BIP. Rundown for our listeners here, how it looked in the Atlantic Division in the ACC this year. Well, in the ACC Atlantic, we had Clemson at 14-0, 8-0 in the ACC, followed by Syracuse 9-3, uh, 6-2 in the conference, followed by NC State at 9-3, 5-3 in the conference, Boston College 7-5, 4-4 in the conference. And rounding out the Atlantic, we have Wake Forest at 6-6, 3-5 in the conference, Florida State 5-7, 3-5 in the conference, and Dead last, Louisville, 2-10 and 10, with a 0-8 and 8 mark in conference play. Yep. Uh, dead is all caps and bolded for Louisville there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, with a do not resuscitate tattooed on their arm. Right. <laughs> and um, just, uh, just to point out, uh, some of the records that Bip gave us there were um, prior to the bowl game. So um, Clemson got that 15th win. So they were the first team to go 15 and 0 in the modern era of college football. Syracuse won their bowl game and finished 10 and three NC state lost their bowl game. In fact, they lost bad and we'll talk more about that. Oh yeah. Um, but, uh, and then wake forest won their bowl game, which, you know, gypped me in my, my bowl picks, but, uh, <laughs> I'll forgive them for that because they've got Sam Hartman. So, yep. <laughs> Well, on the coastal side, we had kind of a shakeup, and things didn't really look the way that the quote-unquote experts thought that they would, uh, myself and, and you as well included in that BIP. So we had Pittsburgh yeah. at the top at 6-2 and two in the division or in the conference, 7-7 seven and seven overall, which included a boring, boring bowl loss to Stanford. Um, <laughs> Georgia Tech came in at second at 5-3 and three in the ACC, but 7-6 and six overall. They lost their game to Minnesota in – uh, Detroit, beautiful, lovely Detroit. Um, <laughs> Miami was four and four, along with Virginia and Virginia Tech. All three of those teams finished four and four. Miami finished seven and six overall. Virginia eight and five overall. Virginia Tech six and seven overall. So even though they made a bowl game um, and extended now what is the longest bowl streak in the ACC since Florida State missed out. Um, 26 straight bowl games for the Hokies, so good for them, but they dropped their bowl game to Cincinnati. Duke finished 3-5 and five in the conference, but 8-5 and five overall, including a, a win over my Wildcats. And then North Carolina <laughs> was 1-7 and seven and 2-9 and nine overall, not good enough to keep Larry Fedora's job. And in comes Mac Brown, and we'll get more to that in a little bit. In the ACC Championship, Clemson was 42-10 to 10 winners over Pittsburgh, and that game really was a lot closer in the first half than the score might indicate, but right. Clemson just proved to be too powerful not only for Pittsburgh, but for almost everybody in college football this year. They were ACC champs. So congrats to Dabo and the Tigers. Um, so we we ran those down, Bip. Let us hear from you, starting with the Atlantic, and then give us your Coastals too. Who were your surprising um, teams for, for each side there? Well, on the... Um... Uh, okay. Sorry. About that. <laughs> That's okay. My Atlantic, my Atlantic surprise. I had to go with, uh, the Syracuse orange now, uh, mostly because of where they had come from, uh, in the last couple of years, they turn around and go 10 and three this year. <laughs> their three losses were to two playoff teams, Clemson and Notre Dame. And their third loss being the winner of the coastal division pit, uh, which was a game that was lost in overtime. Uh, they did this all with um, fourth fourth year senior Eric Dungy, um, but having Tommy DeVito spell him for a few games, both for injury and for ineffective play. So, props to um, 
the orange for for going through that uh, quarterback um, swap uh, throughout the year. They had uh, a, a really pleasant surprise in Chance Cisco, true freshman who ends up leading the team in interceptions and really set the tone for that orange secondary. And then a couple of really good defensive ends in uh, Coleman and Robinson that return for next year that look to wreak havoc again in the ACC. So um, did not expect the the orange to come out in any fashion and was would have been surprised to see them at seven and five, no less 10 and three. So they get my nod in the Atlantic. And I'm going to jump in there, Bip. Um, I'm going to jump reason. in there. Um, yeah. They're they're my team in the Atlantic as well, I think for obvious reasons. And uh, we touched on this in a previous podcast, but they were one of the most pleasant surprises in all of college football, in my opinion, this year. Again, 10 and three overall, which included a bowl victory over um, highly regarded West Virginia, at least uh, at the beginning of the season and even toward the end. Six and two in the conference, but again, those two losses, one of them came to Clemson, or yeah, came to Clemson in a game where they almost won, and they, and by all accounts, they really should have won that game. Um, like you said, best yeah. season in nearly twenty years. They were picked by many to finish last in the Atlantic. So when people are pegging you the seventh best out of seven teams in your side of the ACC, and then you end up finishing second, and really you're um, by and large, about two minutes away from knocking off not only the ACC champion, but the national champion, that's pretty darn good. So it wasn't like they went 10 and three, but their three losses, they just got pummeled by teams. I mean, Notre Dame beat them up pretty good, but uh, in conference, in, in the true conference anyway, they, they look pretty darn good. Um, and two of those three losses, those two losses in the ACC were by one score. And that loss, uh, the other loss, which I think came to Pitt, was in overtime. So um, yep. they yep. had one of the more prolific offenses in the country. And I think this was a little bit surprising to me looking at the numbers and maybe uh, to some others, but uh, Syracuse fans maybe didn't find it as, as uh, surprising. But they were actually fifth in the conference in rush offense in terms of yards per game. And I think a big part of that was Eric Dungy at quarterback, but Mo Neal did a good job um, as their feature back this year. And um, uh, Strickland also uh, spelling them as well. Uh, the, the orange were, were good between the tackles. And once they turned that corner, they, they had some speed around the edge as well. So I think a lot of people to the casual fan Syracuse came off as this, uh, chuck it around the yard, throw it deep, uh, hitting all their receivers type of offense, but they were pretty efficient on the ground as well. Yeah. And a defense that really gave, uh, opposing offenses headaches, not necessarily for points per game or yardage per game, but they were fifth in the country with 11 interceptions, fifth in the country with 13 fumbles recovered and seventh in the country in sacks with 43. So factoring those in, those are really the, the kind of, uh, you know, big time plays that can alter games. And they certainly had enough of them this year to, uh, lead to their 10. Yeah. Wins. And in most defensive categories within the ACC, they were in the top half. And when you can do that, you're, you're going to win, uh, and you're going to be on the, the upper side of, of your division there in, in the ACC conference. So, um, and, and yeah, you already sure. touched on it. Andre Cisco is probably going to be on many all American preseason teams this season. Um, a lot of picks last year as a as a freshman. He's going to be somebody that quarterbacks are going to want to avoid, and it'll be interesting to see how they use him in that secondary, knowing his his talent set. So, what about the coastal side, Bip? Who was the surprise team to you? Well, I was kind of surprised that the coastal was so bad this year. So, a lot <laughs> of them surprised me. But yeah, on, on a good note, I'm going to go with uh, Pittsburgh now. 
not a lot impresses you with this nope. team as they were uh they were 80th and 79th in yards per game allowed um and points per game allowed on on defense respectively offensively they were even worse as they were 94th and 98th in points per game and yards per game uh respectively however they were 18th in the um country in rushing yards per game and that really came alive towards the yeah. end of the season uh two two really good backs in Darren Hall and Kadri yep. Allison. Um, and, and they, they, both of them looked like they could take over a game towards the end of the season. So really gave uh, defenses something to worry about. And they became really productive um, as they started off the season looking like another team that, that maybe um, could have gotten their head coach mm-hmm. fired um, as they start off two and three losing to uh, North Carolina and then really getting trounced by Penn State and UCF, losing those two games by a combined 96 to 20. But then they knock off Syracuse, lose by only five to Notre Dame, and they follow that up with four straight, win, four straight wins and look really impressive in doing so. Um, but they kind of floundered towards the end of the season uh, as they lost their last game of the regular season, uh, lost the ACC championship game, and then also lost their bowl game. So um all in all in a in a disappointing coastal division pick gets my nod for surprising team uh due to the fact that they come away with winning it after looking so lowly after their first five games. yeah and you know again it's no secret that being a northwestern fan uh there were some analysts who were comparing Pitt as the northwestern of the acc which i kind of took as a slap in the face i thought that the wildcats kind of did it with a, a, a lot more um, trim and a lot more polish than Pitt did. And, and again, that's no disrespect to Coach Narduzzi and the Panthers. I mean, winning your side of the uh, – your division of the ACC is an accomplishment, especially when you weren't pegged to do so. Um, and they did it with blue-collar, hard nose. you know, we're just going to find a way to get it done kind of mentality. Um, but, you know, the question will be, is it going to be – long-standing is it is it gonna have some holdover into next year they were pretty senior heavy on this team this year so we'll see what graduation does and and how they've been recruiting in recent years and, and can they sustain this kind of success right right so how about you chappy who'd you have coming away in the coastal for yours well uh, for me it was clear i agree with you that the coastal was kind of a a muddied water, but Virginia to me was the cream of the crop in that coastal division. Yep. Um, mainly because one of the the things that I heard over and over from ACC media days was Bronco Mendenhall, their head coach, who kind of just downplayed their team and basically said, we don't have, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, we don't really have the talent to win more than a hand or, you know, more than three or four games this year. We're just not there yet. We don't have the maturity. We don't have the talent level yet. Uh, He was basically Lou Holtzing the media and trying to make his uh, Mm -hmm. chicken salad look like chicken bleep. So um, my question, (laughs) you know, internally was, did he do this on purpose or was he, you know, really seeing this at the time? But Virginia, they finished eight and five, four and four in the conference, but even though they won eight games, they lost three games by just four points or less. So if you add that in, you're looking at a potential 11-win Virginia team this year. And, you know, similar to Pitt, they didn't really do it in convincing fashion. A lot of their wins were scratching, clawing, just, you know, pulling whatever nails they could to um, put it in the coffin of their opponent. But uh, And two of those four 
point losses were in overtime. So, you know, how on exactly. The road, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, probably the, the most frustrating one was how they lost out in Blacksburg for the Commonwealth cup at the end of the year. Um, and that was one of our games that we'll talk about later in the podcast here, but um, you know, Virginia, they, they did it with sound defense, which is to be expected. Bronco Mendenhall spent a lot of time as the defensive coordinator out in Provo, Utah before coming out here and before he was a head coach out there. Uh, but their offense this year was something of, you know, they, they weren't pretty, but they were very, very efficient. And um, Bryce Perkins, who was their quarterback, was just one of those guys that uh, he probably wouldn't be the first of six picks of any quarterback in the ACC, but he got the job done. And, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, he was a guy that Bronco Mendenhall, I'm sure was very happy to have calling the signals for his, for his Wahoos. So yeah, the Virginia, they, they get my nod as the successful surprise in the coastal side. Yeah, no, I like that. I I almost went with Virginia. What, what pushed me away from them is I I really liked their six and two start, but the fact that they, ended the season uh, going one and three kind of soured the, the taste in my right. mouth for them. And then obviously Pittsburgh winning the coastal gave them the, the slight. Yeah. And, and again, I, it was, it was really down to those two teams for me as well. And, and I think Pittsburgh right. to me seemed like the obvious pick because they won the, the division and you know, that might be a, a good tiebreaker. But when you look at where these teams were projected at the beginning of the season, I think that there was a little bit more hope for Narduzzi, just given his history in, in the coaching tree that he comes from, and the fact that Pitt has won some pretty big games over the last couple of years, they've knocked off some top five teams. I think that more people thought in Narduzzi right. and these Pitt Panthers to get a job done like they did this year. But uh, you ask most True. ACC fans, you know, what shot does Virginia have? And even people in Charlottesville would probably say, okay, you need to look down the line because we don't, we don't have anything here right now. So, <laughs> well, right. let's get to the, the downside of the argument here. Who is disappointing in the Atlantic? And uh, there's really only one team that you should be mentioning here, but I'm going to give you freedom of speech and tell me who you think it is, Bip. Well, I almost uh, went with Florida State due to the fact of how much talent they had returning and how awful they were this year. But even worse than them, I went with the Louisville Cardinals. Um, they lose their last nine games of the season, and they had uh, Brian Mangorda being Brian Mangorda. <laughs> the Cardinals gave up uh, – g- had games to where they gave up 51, 66, 56, 77, 54, 52, and 56 points. They were outscored on the year 529 to 237, and they only had one loss that was of less than 18 points, and that was a four-point loss to my runner-up, uh, disheartening disappointment, Florida <laughs> State. Um, their only two wins were to FCS opponent. Uh, Indiana State and a three and nine Western Kentucky team. They rank 120th according to ESPN's overall efficiency rankings. They are also 122nd in points per game, 128th in points per game given up, had a negative 12 turnover margin, which is good for 125th in the country. And, um, you know, Jawan Pass to me, I think he looked like a potentially good replacement f- to Lamar Jackson and could run that Petrino offense. He threw for under 2,000 yards, only eight touchdowns compared to 12 interceptions and was sacked 30 times. There was nothing good about Louisville this year that I could even try to have sort of a sugar coating on this. This team yeah. was just flat out bad. No, I don't, <laughs> I don't 
disagree with you there. Um, but when I think of disappointing, I'm I'm looking at you know from the beginning of the season to where they ended up, which team falls farther. And to me, that that is the Florida State Seminoles because um, I picked Florida okay. State to go eight and four this season. I picked them to go second in the. Uh, Atlantic, because I thought that the Atlantic division was going to be very, very top heavy. And obviously they were with Clemson, but, um, you know, Syracuse kind of came out of nowhere. And, um, you know, when you look at the resources that Florida State has, when you look at their recruiting over the last few years, I mean, they pulled in the number three, the number six, and the number 11 recruiting um, classes prior to this most recent class. This year was not very good for them. Louisville uh, was a little bit higher than I thought, but they were 37th, 33rd, and 33rd again uh, in the three years prior to 2019. Um, so given those positions and given what the expectations were, I just thought that Florida State had a, a bigger fall from grace because of the fact that um, they just looked not very good this year. Defensively, they um they were okay, but offensively, their offensive line was garbage. They shot themselves in the foot with penalties, and DeAndre Francois, I felt bad for the guy at times because uh, he was behind the chains so often and and had so much work to do to try and catch up that, um, you know, they weren't, I would not classify them as a bad team, but certainly disappointing in terms of where you anticipated them to be. And even as, uh, you know, I mean, they got slapped in the face by Virginia Tech, who we saw was not a very good team in their opener. Um, but even after that, you kind of thought that, all right, uh, they should be able to beat teams like Miami, and they didn't. They should be able to beat um, Syracuse. They didn't. Uh, some of those games where it's just like you're you're waiting for the tide to turn and you're waiting for some sort of spark where Willie Taggart can play a close game, and they really didn't. I mean, they got exposed against the bigger teams. I mean, Notre Dame uh, kicked the snot out of them. Florida trounced them in the swamp. Mm -hmm. They, uh, or I'm sorry, at, at Dote Campbell, I believe that game was at. So, um, I mean, this was just a team that had disappointment written all over that. And, and I agree with you. Louisville was certainly an ugly team, but you know, you give me these two teams at the beginning of 2018 and say, all right, you're putting your mortgage payment on the line. Who are you betting has a, 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 a closer season to your expectation, my money would have been on Florida State and and not so much on Louisville. So yeah, and and I get that. I, I guess they were I think for me, I think Louisville and Florida State were a little closer than uh at the beginning of the season. Um given that Louisville went went eight and five, granted they lose Lamar right. Jackson, which was most of their offense. But I thought under Bobby Petrino that Louisville could keep the ship oh, yeah. right at least a little bit, maybe go, maybe have a seven win season. Um, but yeah, to your point, uh, you said you wouldn't call Florida state a bad team. Okay. I absolutely would. Uh, I mean, they were there two of their five losses or two of their five wins were against Samford and Louisville. They were losing to Samford as late as four Oh three in the fourth quarter, losing to Louisville as late as a, a minute 13 in the fourth quarter. And um, six of their losses were by 19 points or more. Uh, like you said, their offensive line was just awful. Running backs on the team averaged only 3.6 yards per carry, and they have a ton of talent at the running back spot. If you add in their quarterback yardage, they only averaged 2.8 yeah. yards per carry as a team. Um, and and like you mentioned, DeAndre Francois seemed to regress from his 2016 um, 
how good he was in 2016. Who do you, who do you think fell so, further? Do you think um, Francois yeah, I, I would, digressed more? Do you think Cam Akers fell? Because I, I heard like nothing out of Cam Akers this season. I would say that Francois okay. fell more um, because I, I still think that Akers has a shot this year. If they can get some sort of an offensive line, because there was a stat that I had heard that he and, and Patrick, uh, Akers and Patrick, had – um, two of the worst, if not the two worst, um, yards per carry, um, before the line of scrimmage, uh, which is, you know, really, uh, 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 pointing towards the offensive line, not giving them any running room whatsoever. So I think if he gets some sort of, uh, run blocking this year, anything that's better than last year, I think he has potentially a bounce back year. Francois just seemed to lose his entire yeah. team. He seemed to lose the locker room. It seemed like the Seminoles didn't want to play for him. And as soon as there was any sort of um, of a of a a deficit to overcome, that team just gave up on him. So I think okay. he definitely felt. Yeah, and, and how Lakers. about this stat for you? I mean, in, in my lifetime, Florida State has always been at the top. They played six ranked teams this year, BIP. They lost five of them. So they went one and five against ranked teams. And the only team that they beat who was ranked was uh, a schizophrenic Boston College team who was ranked 22nd at the time. And the wheels were kind of uh, wobbling throughout most of their tail end of the season. So I wouldn't even qualify that uh, win over a ranked BC team uh, that big of an accomplishment. And it, and it came at home as well. So, um, but I mean, just, yeah. And that was that was another one to where Florida State barely yeah, won at the exactly. very end of the so, game too. Um, I mean, it's it's really like uh, between uh, you know picking between uh, a diarrhea filled diaper and one that's uh, <laughs> one that's got uh, other chunks in it as well. We'll, yeah. we'll keep this uh, less graphic, but. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Wh- which end of your child do you want <laughs> yeah, the, uh, exactly. the yep. liquid to come out of? <laughs> well, what about the coastal side? Who is who is disappointing on the coastal? I'm gonna go with Duke on this one, and mainly for the fact that they start they started off four and zero with wins against mm-hmm. Army, Northwestern, and Baylor that look much oh, yeah. better now than what they did at the time. They then they then proceed to go three and five in the conference, and their losses. Um, their loss against Pitt, Duke led most of the game, but then they end up being outscored twenty-two to three at the end, losing at fifty-five forty-five or fifty-four forty-five. The ACC season for them culminated in a drubbing against uh, rival Wake Forest, which Wake's a good team and they have an offense that can put yeah, up points. But that- fifty-nine to seven, I can't believe that the Blue Devils were outscored that much. You figure Jones was good for at least some garbage time stats yeah. in that one, and he couldn't even come up with that. Um, and- so. Um, the fact that Duke just completely seemed to fall off the the edge uh, after or once they started conference play was really the reason why they were a disappointment for me after things started yeah, off so and, well and, for them. And, you know, after those first four wins um, or three and a half, if you want to count North Carolina Central, they got into the rankings at number 22 and they played Virginia Tech. And there were a lot of people saying, hey, this Duke team could be the biggest surprise out of the ACC, we could be seeing them in, you know, maybe even a potential top 10 finish at the end of the year. And I was kind of saying silently to myself and into, you know, other people like, uh, whoa, pump the brakes here. We haven't really seen Duke play anybody, especially in conference yet. And, and no, no knock against 
Army, Northwestern, or Baylor. Those are three quality wins like you talked about. But it's a different animal when you play in conference and when when yeah. injuries start to set in. Um, and I agree. I, I don't understand how you get mollywopped the way you do at uh, at home against Wake Forest. And, and trust me, there were plenty of Wildcat fans in Evanston who were wondering – where the heck was that performance when you came out here to Ryan Field? So, <laughs> yeah, and what what killed them all season is the run. They finished 117th in the country in yeah. uh, rushing yards per game allowed. Um, and in, in a conference like the, the like the ACC, if you can't stop the run, you may as well right, right. not show up. To yeah, the I game. mean <laughs> to to score 13 points in your last two games under a David Cutcliffe offense. I mean the guy is an offensive whiz and can work wonders with quarterbacks. And you just wonder how do you only score 13 points in two games uh, with that kind of resource both on the coaching staff, but also the the talent of players that they have on offense because Jones and Ramming and Young and all those great receivers that they have, they, you're better for more than 13 points. So, yeah, I think that's a good pick, Bip. Um, anything else to right. add on the Blue Devils? Nope. Uh, I think, I think uh, th- they definitely, I-, I think at the beginning of the season, I kind of picked them to win seven games, but had they had they not started off four and zero, they wouldn't have gotten my nod. Um, so this is more of a what happened progressively throughout the season, as opposed to yeah, where I'm I thought they would finish. What happened? Drop. <laughs> we got to work that into our skit. <laughs> <laughs> but I, right, exactly. What about you, Chappie? Who left you with uh, well, taste of disappointment um, in your mouth? I'm going to go with Miami, game? and I think that that's an easy pick. And I tried to get away yep. from it. Uh, I think. I think your pick with the Duke Blue Devils is very interesting, and I like that pick. But for me, Miami, you know, even picking them to win nine games and to win the Coastal Division at the beginning of the year, there were some people who were calling them to potentially be a college football playoff team, and I just didn't buy it. I thought that uh, I wasn't sold on Malik Rozier having two consecutive solid seasons, especially when he started to sputter at the end of the year when he played awful against Pitt in 2017. Um, I just, I knew their defense would be Mm -hmm. great. I just wasn't sold on their offense. I knew that they had some firepower, but there were still some question marks. And I know that there, uh, it seems to be uh, almost a, a negative stereotype for the U that there's going to be some locker room issues. You got a lot of divas out there, and maybe it's the South Beach thing. Maybe it's just uh, the culture at uh, the U. But um, that always seems to come back to teams like this, and and I just didn't see it. But to go seven and six and five and three in the conference and not win the coastal when the coastal was really so bad this year. And I use bad as a relative term. I mean, uh, there were some good things that came out of the coastal, but I mean, when you look at it, uh, all those teams just beat up on one another. So Miami, um, you know, they started the season number eight and they looked overmatched right from the get-go. LSU just thumped them and made them look bad in that first game, and that was really the first sign for me that this was not going to be a Miami team that everybody was highlighting. They they won some easy games shortly after that and moved up to number 16, but then they lost on the road at Virginia, took a nosedive after that, losing a total of four straight They then came back and rebounded with a win at Virginia Tech. But again, like we talked about, Virginia Tech was not a very good team. In fact, probably one of the worst teams that I've seen in their 26 years that I've been uh, following the Hokies around college football. Um, They knocked off Pitt when they were number 24. But again, that was was a little bit of an anomaly. I think that was kind of just, you know, they got helped by playing at home and Pitt had – 
I, I believe at that point clinched the coastal division. So you kind of wonder that was a hangover game. And then of course, Miami pooped out vanilla yeah. mush against Wisconsin in the, in the pinstripe bowl. And I mean, Wisconsin <laughs> wasn't a great team coming into that game, but they sure looked great against Miami, even against that defense. So uh, yeah, I got to give it to the Canes for being the disheartening disappointment. The one that uh, leaves me with the uh, rotten broccoli taste in my mouth. Yeah, two, two words for their quarterback yeah. play this year. Ugly. Uh, both Malik Rozier and Nikosi uh, Perry were just terrible. Um, Rozier threw eight picks to only six touchdowns. Uh, Perry did a little bit better throwing for 13, but I still wouldn't uh, think that if, if they didn't have um, Tate Martell, mm-hmm. whose eligibility is still up in the air, if he's not Im- immediately eligible this year, it could be a whole nother season of the same as I don't trust uh, Perry going through this year either. Um, they were helped out as best they could with that stingy defense. But like you said, if you would have told any Miami fan this year that the, the winner in the conference would have a, uh, a seven win record uh, going into the bowl season, I think that any, any Miami fan would say, well, a, can't believe we only had seven wins, but B, that's definitely us. That's going to be yeah, playing. And, the and I think we're going to see a much different Miami team next year, not only because they have raided the transfer portal, but, um, you know, a lot is hinging on the eligibility of Tate Martell because I don't consider him to be a great college quarterback, but he's certainly going to be better than what they have coming into spring ball. So, you know, when everybody flashes the U down in Coral Gables, in terms of quarterback play, you got to put a P in front of that uh, and make it PU because, yeah, both of those guys um, don't really give them (laughs) a, a sign of improvement going into next year. And who knows, maybe the... The eligibility hearings on Tate Martell are being delayed to see if behind closed doors, if the NCAA is waiting for the rich boys down in Miami to uh, collect coin in their purse and uh, raise some funds to sway the decision (laughs) of the board to say, yeah, we'll let Martell go and play this year. So. Yeah, well, one thing Miami needs to get figured out for next year, the the turnover chain was was used early and often this year for the defense to say at 25 of them, but their offense could have had a turnover chain for themselves as they had 26 turnovers, which is good for 117th in the country. So definitely something they need to figure yeah, out Yeah, they next need a, year. Uh, an offensive security. prop, and that is a roll of toilet paper sitting on a uh, – on a stick just to, uh, to wipe the mess that's, yeah. that's been shown there. So, um, <clears throat> well, those were the good teams. Players are the ones that make teams great. So who are some of our offensive defensive and, uh, other outstanding players? I'm going to start off with offense. My offensive most outstanding player in the ACC this year was <gasps> brace yourself, not Trevor Lawrence, but his teammate in the backfield, Travis Etienne. He had 1,659 yards rushing on the ground. That's an 8.1 yard per carry average, 24 touchdowns rushing. That is incredible. Those are Wisconsin running back-like numbers. And I think what makes ETN so outstanding to me is the fact that he is so fast, so quick. He's uh, also got power. I mean, he's going to run through tackles. He's got great leg leg drive, uh, but he can also swing out of the backfield. He's a very versatile back and, and, you know, going into his junior season next year, he's a guy, if I'm an NFL scout, if I'm a, an executive, 
this is definitely a guy I want to take a look at because he's going to bring me a lot of versatility on my offense. So, well, Mr. Lawrence did a great job at quarterback. I think uh, he was enhanced and his skills were able to flourish because of the fact that defenses really have to account for number nine coming out of that backfield. So what do you think on the offensive side, Biff? Who is outstanding to you? I couldn't agree with you more. I went also went with uh, Travis Etienne for many of the reasons that you mentioned. 8.1 yards per carry, which is just insane. First in the country with 24 rushing touchdowns. And like you mentioned, he's a home run threat anytime he touches the ball. So I had to give the nod to him and look for much of the same in 2019 I would go as, as far well. as to say that going into 2019, and this is, of course, before doing any in-depth research, but my unofficial kind of on-off-the-record Heisman favorite for 2019 is going to be Mr. ETN. He just right now is the leader in the clubhouse for me. The only thing that gives me pause for that isn't that I think that Trevor Lawrence is going to be more of a deserving candidate this year. However, there is the splitting of votes that would take place between uh, ETN and Lawrence, given the fact that uh, Lawrence is in his second year in the offense and he's got a ridiculous group of receivers to throw to. However, uh, ETN should be able to ice games away, whereas if uh, Clemson is smothering opponents like they did this year, you have to figure that Lawrence might be taken out of the game or at least the game plan will be tilted more towards the running game uh, where ETN will stay in the game um, and and keep running up the stats. But yeah, I would agree with you that if, um, if I had to put money on anyone this year, ETN would be as good as any Um, defensive side. Are you going to stay with the, the orange and white BIP or do you have somebody else as your most outstanding player? Well, I am going to stay with the orange and white, but add some okay. blue and go with Andre Cisco. Um, 60 tackles, um, seven interceptions, nine passes defended, one forced fumble, as we mentioned already, as a true freshman, really set the tone for the orange in that secondary. Someone that can not only be a ball hawk and give quarterbacks headaches uh, figuratively, but come up and give them literal headaches as well and uh, lay the lumber on them almost went with Hamp Cheevers from um, Boston College Mm -hmm. as he also had seven interceptions also added a touchdown seven passes defended but uh, I think if I'm building a defense I value safety more so than a uh, a ball hawking safety more Mm -hmm. so than a shutdown corner just because they touch the ball more so with uh, their tackles and the fact that they can freelance over the center of the, uh, the field just makes them so dangerous. So I ended up going with uh, Cisco. Um, sounds like uh, Chappie, you may have stayed. I with did. Orange yep. and white, or who'd you uh, go you with? picked up the hint. I was dropping. I had to go with Cleland furl. <laughs> uh, I, I, for furl. the longest time, I, I was under the impression that it was feral, but apparently there was an influence of Cleveland Brown from Family Guy. And uh, so Mr. Furl, <laughs> I, I liked him because 55 tackles from your defensive line position, that's pretty impressive. 20 tackles for loss, 11 and a half sacks, three forced fumbles, a fumble recovery, and two passes defended, which is pretty good for uh, an athletic big guy down there. Um, I agree with you. I think that there's a lot of merit in having a good safety. I do hesitate sometimes, though, picking a freshman as being the most outstanding or as as an MVP even. And, and my reasoning for that is 
they're an unknown, obviously, by mm-hmm. definition, coming into the season. I think for right. Farrell, uh, Farrell, the the stats that he had sure. when everybody and their brother knew who he was and where he was going to be, and and you put uh, not only your offensive linemen and your zone blocking schemes, but a back out of the backfield and and you have quarterback audibles to try and take him out of the game plan and for him to still dominate the way that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just an outstanding player to me. And I, I understand that it's probably an easy pick, but you know, again, when I, when I look at these kind of decisions, when you're, when you're asked to choose who's a player that you take, I think of it as a former coach. If I have to build my offense or my defense around somebody, who's somebody that I want to have on there because I know that play in, play out, they're going to make outstanding plays. And no disrespect to Andre Cisco, I think that's an outstanding pick. Um, but Furl yeah. uh, clearly was a guy that starts things. And, and maybe I'm a little bit biased. I, I think that the defensive line is the group of tone setters on the defense. And you have a good secondary if you have a good defensive line. I think if you lack up front, then you are going to have some issues in the back end. But uh, no, and, and I like your thought uh, for sure that there's the the unknown. So going into this year, you have to figure that defenses or right. offenses are going to game plan around Cisco. But to play devil's advocate to to your pick is easy to um, say that Furl uh, got all these stats while being game planned around. However, yeah. it is the Clemson defense, and he's got three other All Americans yeah. uh, around him. Sure, he certainly didn't do it by himself. <laughs> so, uh, but 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 I I do like your 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 pick there, and I I really am wondering if there's going to um, if the Pittsburgh Steelers happen to draft him, if there's going to be a Pittsburgh Steeler Charles Barkley <laughs> mesh, and they'll right. have the furrable <laughs> towel. I think we should work on marketing that bit. <laughs> Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, a verbal trade. Is there anybody who was off the radar, maybe <laughs> that stuck out to you that you didn't hear a lot of people talk about, uh, and maybe they didn't even make first or second team All ACC? Anybody that um, you can see offensively or defensively, Bip? Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with uh, from Georgia Tech, and I, I may be mispronouncing this name, but uh, Henri Saint Amour. Um, D- defensive end uh, who contributed 47 tackles, four sacks, 12 uh, tackles for loss, also had two picks wow. and a touchdown from the defensive end spot. I really um, haven't, didn't see too many Georgia Tech games this year, but in digesting the stats, he really stood out for me amongst that entire Georgia Tech defense as someone that um, was really impressive to me. Also, want to go with uh, uh, Taysier Mack, uh, yeah. receiver from Pitt. He had over 150, uh, over 550 yards receiving, but averaged 20, 22.3 yards per catch. Only had one touchdown this year, but as their big play, a big play threat, I look for him to increase that total this year as he just seems like someone that could sure. potentially score from anywhere. Yeah, on I the went, field. Uh, I, I did an offensive and a defensive pick here. So offensively, Reggie Gillespie from North Carolina State. Um, averaged 5.8 yards per carry, but 18 touchdowns, which was second in the ACC behind ETN's 24. He averaged 83 yards per game, which I know, you know, a lot of people are thinking, all right, well, if you're going to have big stats as a running back, you're hoping for 100 yards per game. But that's that's uh, a very difficult number to reach on a consistent level. His 83 yards per game was fifth in the ACC. 
Um, he was not on the first or second team. He was actually beat out by Travis Homer from Miami. And Homer is a, is a talent. He had maybe a better yards per carry average only by 0.3. So he was at 6.1, but um, he was better than Homer. Gillespie was better than Homer in many offensive categories. And so he was somebody that outside of Raleigh, North Carolina, I don't think a lot of people understood who he was or how valuable he was to that offense, especially when most of the pub went to their quarterback, Ryan Finley. Yeah, I, I like that pick. Um, he, he definitely did help uh, that, that Wolfpack team reach the nine wins. And, and it's, it's really nice to, for a, you know, a, a eighth, ninth year senior <laughs> like Ryan Finley to, yeah. to have a running game like that. Uh, that you can rely upon to, to really right, exactly. set the tone and make you look good. <laughs> like you said before, collecting college football social security. <laughs> well, defensively, <Yeah. laughs> I, I chose basically he was a slot corner, slot nickel uh, safety, and that's Tajamir Torres from Boston College, who he had 50 tackles this year, two sacks for 23 mm-hmm. yards, picked off three passes, but defended 12 passes. And, um, you know, with teams wanting to throw away from Hamp Cheevers, who you mentioned earlier, Amir Torres did a good job in solidifying his role as a as a threat out in the secondary for that pretty good BC defense. And somebody who, you know, who is draft eligible and um, teams might want to take a look at. I'm not sure if he is somebody that will get drafted, but certainly should deserve a look at um, making a roster in the NFL and probably will be one of those guys that you see successful and playing. And you're like, where did that guy play? And you could listen back to this podcast and say, oh yeah, Chappie and the BIP told us that he played for Boston College in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> What about coach right. of the year, Biff, real quick? <laughs> who who would you give the trophy to for being the guy that ran the ship the best in the ACC? I'm going to go out on a limb and say <laughs> Brian Van Gorder. Yeah, Louisville, um, Louisville fans no. would want to beat you uh, with that. No, uh, <laughs> uh, no yep. I'm going to go with uh, Dino Me Babers, uh, sticking with my surprise uh, in Syracuse. Um Want to combine 15 games? Uh, Syracuse did a combined 15 games in the previous four seasons. This year alone, Babers yeah. leads the Orange to 10 wins, uh, most wins in a season since 2001. Took Clemson to the wire, lost OT, lost an OT to Pitt, and led a defense that was, as we mentioned, very opportunistic with turnovers and really got after the quarterback. Um, offense once again, one of the more efficient yep. and successful in the country. Um, really looking forward to see how Babers and that uh, Syracuse team plays off of such, such a successful year. Um, this yeah, year in I had the same pick. He, uh, you know, they were a good team. So in the ESPN efficiency rankings, they were 43rd most efficient offense, 24th most efficient defense, which I think is surprising to some people. Um, and then sixth in special teams. So they had the Groza Award winner and Andre Schmidt as their kicker. They had uh, Sterling Hoffreiter, their punter, and, and they just were a solid team in all phases. And, and to me, that's the sign of a very good, very organized head coach who's got things going the right way. And if you're a Syracuse fan, you're praying to whatever God you believe in to keep him there and, and make him a lifer in uh, upstate New York because that's a guy that you want to have. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, he, he went from being the guy that uh, in 2017 had the the cool dances and, you know, one of those college day, game day segments of, hey, this is kind of cool what uh, this coach is doing in Syracuse to this year being, uh, you know, one of the guys that uh, if he has another successful year, I'm, I'm sweating bullets in in uh, Syracuse, New York. Thinking exactly. That, uh, he's going to get away from. Well, us. let's get to our top games. So there are, you know, it's college football. Every game is is great. And and they're all worth watching. But um, let's kind of bounce back and forth here. Uh, lightning round style. Bip, give me one of your top games. Uh, who played, who won and, and what stood out to you? I'm going to go uh, Clemson Syracuse first. That one was a uh, second half, especially was was a nail biting one. As not only was uh, Syracuse or um, Clemson in in jeopardy of losing that game, but man, the the way that that Clemson kept fighting back and taking Clemson to the wire. Unfortunately, uh, for my perspective, right. Clemson ended up losing. But that was uh, one of the more entertaining ones. This uh, Clemson hangs on to win twenty seven twenty three. Um, due to a, a late score, um, from the, yeah, from the I had that one as one of my top games as well. So after losing Trevor Lawrence in the first half with concussion, like symptoms, Will Bryce has to come in a freshman, mind you. And he went seven for 13 with an interception, but mm-hmm. most important was a fourth and sixth completion to T Higgins, which kept a drive alive and kept him in the game. And then eventually, um, it set up a game winning touchdown by previously mentioned Travis Etienne that completed a 94 yard drive. So they started that game winner on the six yard line back in their own territory. Um, Syracuse had leads of nine points and 10 points on different drives late in the second quarter and early in the fourth. But the difference, again, like we mentioned, was Travis Etienne in the fourth quarter. He finished with 203 yards and three total touchdowns, including that icer at the end. This was Syracuse's first loss, so they were 4-0 coming in. Um, they were ranked 20th in the country in one of the polls. And so there was a lot of hype. And, and usually in those games, you kind of see that a team might falter. But Syracuse went punch for punch with Clemson, taking them to the wire. Eric Dungy played great. And that Syracuse defense showed that they would not be intimidated by Clemson's speed and athleticism, even on the road. Yeah, and after Syracuse's last score at the beginning of the fourth quarter, from then on, uh, Clemson only allowed them to gain 27 yards on 12 plays, so that Clemson defense really suffocated them at the end of the game. So going to the next one, I had Wake Forest beating NC State, 22nd-ranked NC State, 27-23 on a Thursday night. So the Deeks needing to win two of their final three games um, and two of those final three coming on the road. They were 19-point underdogs heading into Carter-Finley Stadium on a Thursday night ESPN game. Oh, and they were playing without their starting quarterback, mind you. So sophomore quarterback Jamie Newman came out of the scene and had a game to remember, going 22-33 of for 297 yards, three touchdowns, and most importantly, zero interceptions. It wasn't just the offensive heroics, though. Mm -hmm. Um, It was also the strategy of a slower pace. So um, head coach Dave Clawson said that they were uh, on purpose going to go a little bit slower. They were averaging about 85 plays or snaps on offense per game. They went about 20 plays less than that, and that seemed to have an effect on the NC State defense. Um, but their highly criticized defense, Wake Forest, that is, showed up in a big way, forcing the high-powered Wolfpack offense to stall on three t- trips inside the red zone. 
twice coming inside the six. So they really locked down on the Wolfpack inside uh, the scoring territory. They forced them to three field goals, and they held that NC State run game to an average of just 1.7 yards per carry on 27 totes of the Rocks. So Reggie Gillespie, who we mentioned earlier, was shut down on that Thursday night. Uh, Wake also made 11 tackles for losses and intercepted NFL-bound Ryan Finley while only turning it over themselves just once, and that was just on a fumble. So this was a highly decorated win for the Demon Deacons, and it was their first win in Raleigh in 16 games, their first ever win over a top 25 team in more than 10 years. So not first ever, but their first top 25 victory in over a decade. So big win for Wake Forest on that one. Yeah, and like you said, Newman looked really impressive. That'll be one of my most intriguing quarterback battles as we enter the spring. Um, so going into my next one, Georgia Tech versus Virginia. Uh, this one ended in a victory for Georgia Tech, 30-27 to in overtime. The two teams traded blows in the first and second quarter uh, without any score in the third, but at the end of the fourth, we saw three field goals kicked within the last four minutes, including one by Virginia to put the game into overtime. Both teams go three plays in field goal in overtime. However, Virginia's kicker missed the 35-yarder to seal the victory for the Yellow Jackets. Of note, Georgia Tech's uh, overtime kick clanged off the right upright and bounced in um, for their their eventual game-winning field goal. Um, so this one was a, a good one throughout and um, was not a disappointment in in overtime with that uh, that nail biter. Yeah, like they say, sometimes it's better Tech. to be lucky than good. Well, I'm going to go yep, for to sure. Virginia at Virginia Tech in the last regular season weekend before um, you know championship Saturday and some of those makeup games. So Virginia uh, was bested by the Hokies 34-31 in overtime. So in the centennial matchup between these two in-state rivals, it was a slow simmer that was eventually brought to a boil and ended up in overtime when quarterback Bryce Perkins mishandled a handoff and the Bud, Host, Bud Foster Hokie defense gobbled it up, ending the game and keeping the Commonwealth Cup in Blacksburg for the 15th straight season. The Hokies led for most of the first half by as much as 10, but then allowed the UVA offense to fashion the lead down until the Hoos gained control in the fourth with a touchdown pass from Perkins to Hassis Dubois. The passing games on each side were bolstered by great wide receiver play from UVA's Joe Reed, who had four catches for 119 yards and two uh, incredible touchdowns, and Virginia Tech's Trey Turner, who also played a pivotal role on special teams, blocking a punt with under two minutes to go, recovered by uh, earlier mentioned number 26, Javon Quillen, for the game-tying touchdown to send it into overtime. After Virginia Tech got a field goal from Brian Johnson in the first stanza, they forced that game-ending turnover on Virginia's offensive opportunity, and the Hokies came away with a win that not only kept the Commonwealth Cup, but it gave them a, a shot at a bowl again, which they beat Marshall in a makeup game the following week and ended up going to postseason for the 26th consecutive year. Yeah, and after this game, uh, Virginia fans were definitely tired of seeing the yeah, um, exactly. acronym OT. <laughs> um, did you have any other games there, Bip, or did that touch on them all? That touched upon them all based, uh, with yep, the combination okay, of mine and yours. Um, and obviously, there were some other nail biters, and, and this one, I, I have to admit, there there were the Clemson and Syracuse game and the Virginia Virginia Tech game were easy for me, but getting that third game, there was a lot that I could have gone to. And so uh, definitely the ACC, even though we ranked them fifth out of the power five conferences, they certainly gave us a lot of excitement uh, in terms of entertainment value. 
So some thoughts to yeah, snack sure. on. Um, we'll kind of just bounce this back and forth uh, as our final segment here, Bip. But um, the ACC, I found out, is a conference or set a conference record with 11 teams that made it to a bowl in 2018. Unfortunately, though, only four of them won their bowl game. And we can put a little side note to say that Boston College, their game got canceled. So, um, you know, they went four and six in the 10 bowl games that they actually played. And Boston College looked like they were going to route uh, Boise State in that one until the uh, weather took over. Yeah, and one of the weirder things to see uh, a bowl game. Yeah, being I know. Canceled. Yeah, I think it's the first. <laughs> so, which which I think it was because... the first time, at least in the modern era, that that's ever happened. Because usually it passes over, but you know, you, I kept checking the game, checking the game. I'm like, okay, why have they not gone back? And then you get the word that uh, you know the weather's just right. not going to pass. So. Which stinks because there's more fuel for the fire of not going to outdoor stadiums, especially in the Midwest or, you know, right. Uh, exactly. Places like Boise. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, I had one here um, kind of going with yours. Despite the fact that they had so many teams uh, make a bowl, they only had two ranked yeah. teams to finish the season. Um, and uh, only two teams ranked in the top 25 composite. Uh, recruiting rankings for the class of 2019 as well, being Clemson and, and Florida State. However, they did have five teams that finished in the top 30 as Virginia Tech, Miami, and NC State all finished uh, 25 that, and 30. So um, is that still not where the conference... In, in recruiting, you're talking about sorry, that last ranking? Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry if I didn't mention it. The, the top right. 25 composite okay, recruiting rankings for 2019. So still not where the conference needs to be necessarily considering their, their fertile recruiting grounds. But, um, you know, the fact that uh, they still have the, the Blue Bloods, Clemson and Florida State uh, up there in the in the top 20. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, only two teams in the final college football playoff rankings at the end of the season. And that's Partly why Bip and I have ranked them fifth out of 11 is the fact that, um, you know, there were a lot of other of those power five conferences that had, um, you know, three or more teams that finished in those rankings. And, um, you know, Bip, I don't know about you, but I kind of throw out how teams do in bowl games, especially in, in the current age when you've got stars who are sitting out or with injuries and whatnot. I think the true measure of a team in a conference is how they do from week zero when, when they play their first game all the way up until um, really championship Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with you because there's so many factors that go into a bowl game location, uh, temperament of the players who stays, who goes. Um, if you're actually, uh, taking into account the seriousness of whether you want to win that bowl or not kind of a thing. Um, so yeah, I would agree with you that, um, from weeks one until, uh, throughout the, the conference championship games is more important to me than what happens. Yeah, and we, and we touched well. on, uh, you know, ranking the ACC fifth out of the 11 football conferences. A big reason why, aside from their final rankings, the ACC was only four and nine against power five teams. So when you stack them up against the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the Pac-12, they only won four games out of 13. And that's not including the five losses that teams had to Notre Dame. So taking Notre Dame out of the equation, um, the ACC really didn't have a lot of wins that they could bring home and brag about for their conference this season. Yeah. Um, and 
to to further expand upon how top heavy the ACC was this year, Clemson led the conference in scoring margin with a plus four sixty seven, which is just yeah. staggering to think about. Second place was Syracuse at a plus one hundred seventy two, so a difference of two hundred ninety uh, two hundred ninety five points between those two. Last place was Louisville at a negative two ninety two. So the difference between first place Clemson and last place Louisville was the sum of seven hundred and fifty nine yeah. points and. If you take Clemson's scoring margin, that was greater than the sum of the next three teams in the ACC. Um, so lots of catching up to do, not just for the ACC, but most of the teams in the rest of the country as well. But uh, just uh, some some unbelievable numbers to show you the difference between the the have and the have-nots in the ACC. Yeah, and Clemson touching and on that else. Louisville number, they, in their 12 games, seven of those 12, they gave up 45 points or more. So have fun, Bowling Green. <laughs> Um, and then the last thing I want to touch on, Bip, before we wrap up here is starting in August, there's a new ACC network that's going to launch. And um, they're going to need a boost because going into this uh, offseason, they are last among the Power 5 schools at just $26.6 million per school in terms of revenue sharing. By comparison, the Big 12 only has 10 schools compared to the ACC's 14. And those schools, on average, pull in $34 million per school. So that's a pretty big disparity. So hopefully this network, uh, you know, anytime that there's a new network that can televise college athletics, it's going to be a good thing. It's a positive thing. And I applaud the ACC for doing that. But they're going to need that shot in the arm because these schools are, uh, you know, while some of them are kind of in that blue blood territory, there's a lot of schools that are a little bit deficient in in terms of, money and in terms of the resources and and what sort of revenue sharing that they're uh, able to tap into. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't know that they were going to have an ACC network, but always good to see another um, sporting network out there to hopefully further televise and and get the the distribution out to fans that might not otherwise be viewing those and if they follow are, the big 10 networks model i think that's a great uh fit because that's done wonders for the big 10 it's it's really helped out in terms of the finances and as a fan there's there's so much more that's offered to you both in uh tv content but also online content and their apps and everything so um good things coming for the acc sure so yeah um that's it. The meat is charred. We are done, but we're well done. So we want to thank our sponsors, but most importantly, we want to thank all of you for listening, especially those who are back again and not giving in to the frosty football off season. You know, Bip, the off season can be like a kid's birthday party. It's going to seem long. You probably don't want it, but uh, there's usually good things to snack on. So let Bip and I cater you and serve your appetite. <laughs> um, you would clearly have found us on one of the platforms, but if you're looking for maybe an easier platform, we can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Overcast, and Radio Public, among others. So we strongly hope that you continue to subscribe, to listen, but also spread the word and help us be heard. And if you like what you hear and want to help us go from good to great, please rate us and tell us what we should continue to do, but also what we can do even better. On our next episode, we'll continue college football traditions by entering the land of the Big Ten, plus four, and the 14 teams that stretch from the Great Lakes all the way to the eastern seaboard. Thanks for listening to A Bowl Full of Chips. Thanks for choosing the right over the rest. Bowl on and bowl often. The peace is out. See you, Bip. See you.